the Exton Moss Experiment. Adventures in Wine and Space with Simon Exton and Ken Moss. Episode 52 The Avengers. Hello, everyone, and a very warm welcome to the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And unfortunately, recently we have lost Diana Rigg, and within the past 12 months also, Honor Blackman. This is an episode that we recorded some time ago, but it seems very appropriate to retool it as a tribute to very, very fine actresses. Yes, both Honor Blackman and Diana Rigg. In terms of archive television and general geekiness, they've got quite a number of things in common because they were both Avengers girls and absolutely seminal Avengers girls. They were both Bond girls and they were both guest stars in really quite crap Doctor Who stories. So to start with the the one that you can gush, gush about a little bit more, they were both Bond girls. Honor Blackman left the Avengers to take up the part of Pussy Galore in Goldfinger. Diana Rigg was Tracy Vincenzi in Honor Majesty's Secret Service a few years after she'd been in the Avengers. And you're the you're the Bond fan out of the two of us, so I will hand over to you at this point. Well, of the two of them, Pussy Galore is the one that everybody remembers more. I think largely because her name, her character name was Pussy. But Tracy Vincenzo, as it played by Diana Rigg, was James Bond's wife. And he did get married in the preceding film. He married a, a Japanese girl in You Only Live Twice. But Diana Rigg's always credited as the only wife of James Bond. On Her Majesty's Secret Service is actually a pretty bloody good film. George Lazenby's only outing, but everyone, on the whole, says it's a pretty good film. And she is excellent in it. Now, in The Avengers, which is what we're about to look at, I've never been a major fan of The Avengers. I've seen bits and pieces, but I'd never watched it in depth until Simon brought the immaculately cleaned-up box set. I've really enjoyed this. So what is to come... We we did this, as I remember, it was on a very, very stormy night back in April or May this year. But they were grippingly good. And in fact, one of the episodes, Diana Rigg pretty much gets to herself. Yeah, the plan was, and actually still is, to do the Avengers season by season. So we've recorded the, the episode you're going to hear as a tribute to these two fine ladies was season four. So the Diana Riggs first season, the final season in black and white. Do we talk about three or four episodes of that? As ever, I can't remember. There may it's have been three, gin involved. Because we do talk about a fourth episode, but that's for and add on to the Crimson Horror. The Crimson Horror. Yes. But we're not we're not talking about the Crimson Horror. Um, <laughs> we're talking about something good, good that uh, Dame Diana is superlative in rather than something rubbish that she's superlative in. The Avengers, as hopefully pretty much anybody who listens to this will know, was a superb British 1960s crime drama. It started off quite serious, became much, much more tongue-in-the-cheek as it went along. And actually, Honor Blackman and Diana Rigg bracket this wonderfully because Honor Blackman's portrayal as Kathy Gale is generally the more serious crime and spy drama spilling over into silliness. 
and Diana Riggs is more a spy drama that is a bit silly, spilling over into some absolutely daft stuff. Finally, it's important to recognise from a historical point of view just how important a character Kathy Gale was because she was the first female action hero. And then going forward, um, the character of Emma Peel built on that and had the, the same positives, um, a female action-oriented character. And both of them were very clearly Steed's intellectual superior. They were both scientists. Um, Kathy Gell was an anthropologist. It's never really quite said what, what Emma Peel was, but there's always talk about her her publishing articles that um, she's seen as an, as an accomplished artist. Well, my first experience of Honor Blackman was Pussy Galore. I saw that when I was very young. And my first experience of Diana Rigg was in a TV movie version of The Worst Witch, in which she played Miss Hardbroom. And it was a firm favourite in our house for years. It doesn't stand up very well now, but it was, at the time, that was the only thing I'd seen her in. I remember watching The Worst Witch. Um, I mean, I, I knew who Diana Rigg was before then, but I remember really, really enjoying it. We should do that as a Halloween. Yeah, not this year. Well, before we hand over to our younger selves, we are going to do a very specific black archive purely for Dame Diana Rigg. We are going to need several crates for this because it is a mammoth chunk of missing television. But what I am going to pull out of the Black Archive in memoriam, more specifically of Diana Rigg, I'm not sure whether Anna Blackman appeared in this or not, although it was so long running that I think pretty much everybody did. But what I'm going to pull out of the Black Archive is Armchair Theatre. Uh, This was an ITV programme that ran from 1956 to 1974 and was predominantly, certainly in the early years, adaptations of theatre productions. Came on to have more original material adaptations of original plays, but very definitely written as plays rather than as pieces of television. It was originally an ABC production and was uh, taken over by Thames in 1968. And Diana Rigg was a guest actress in quite a number of these. Additionally, as we've been talking about the Avengers, we're about to look at the Avengers. One of the early producers of the Avengers, Leonard White, was an early producer of Armchair Theatre. There are parallels between two absolute stalwarts of 60s British television, the Avengers and Armchair Theatre. And that seems to tie in very nicely with a a raise to the gin glass and a goodbye to Honor and Diana. So, without further ado, we're going to hand over to our younger selves on a dark and stormy night and enjoy three episodes of The Avengers. Take it away, guys. Hello, boys and girls, and welcome to another edition of the Exton Moss Experiment. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton. And tonight we're going to have an Avengers Fest. Before we go on, of course, we have the tonic screwdriver. What have we got for tonight? We have Ludlow, Elderflower, Chamomile and Lemon Verbena Gin. Uh, It is a limited edition from the Wardington's Distillery. Uh, It says it's handcrafted in the Welsh marches, botanicals and spirits are skillfully blended in copper stills 
to create smooth and classic dry gin. Flies, Jupiter, Coriander, Angelica Root and Oris are harmonised with subtle notes of chamomile, elderflower and lemon verbena to create a truly premium gin. So that's sort of mid-grade and reasonably uninformative info bollocks. Um, I'm not mad keen. Really? I like that. It's got, a, it's got sort of sweetish flavour to it. There's a bit of a tingle to it. It doesn't smell like cat piss, which you would expect from something with... Um, with verbena. Verbena in it. Is it verbena? Yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's a, a few things smell like cat piss. Choicey is another one. Valerian was the one I was thinking of, but... I can't remember the last time I came across that. Used in medicine more than anything else. I'll be honest, it's not for me. I'm actually reminded of Witch Hazel. I like this. It's a, it's a four for me. Oh, it's a two for me. Well, grab your glasses and we'll go down into the bowels of Podcasting House and open up the Black Archive. This is the segment where we look at all the lost television and film in the world, which we've got stored safely at Podcasting House. We're going to retrieve a couple of cans and release them back into the wild. Simon, what do you fancy tonight? Well, what I fancy bringing back is uh, another ITV spy drama from slightly later in the 60s than The Avengers, going through to the early 70s, and it is Callan. Oh, right, yes. So um, much of the black and white era is missing. All of the colour episodes survive. It's a, a very good, gritty, Cold War British spy drama. Unlike things like the Rat Catchers that came before it or the Sandbaggers that came after it, it's almost all set in England. And Callan is a member of a government department, which is never actually named, worked for a succession of bosses, all given the code name Hunter, and he is one of their assassins. I've got it in my head that it's Ilya Kuryakin, what's his name? Sapphire and Steel, but it's not, is it? David McCallum, no, it's Edward Woodward. I do, I've vaguely seen a few in the mists of time on UK Gold. The, the main regulars going through were Edward Woodward as Callan and bloke who played Yuvanov. Hunter. Russell Hunter as Lonely, who's one of his informants. Because Big Finish have just done it. Callan. Mm. Oh, fuck. <laughs> you quite like some of their stuff. The Star Cops was brilliant. Star Cops, uh, Star Cops was, I can't... Oh, I can't imagine they've got anybody... They've got... Are they adapting the missing episodes? I'll be honest, I don't know. But they've got the guy off coupling, the not Richard Coyle... Thingy Davenport. Not Davenport. Patrick. Yes. But they've I was... him as Callan. He was Callan. I'm, I'm fairly sure. Oh. I'm going to have to look this up. Because he's a bit posh for Callan. Yeah, uh, Ben Miles and Frank Skinner. It's got to be worth at least a passing interest for having those two in it. Yeah. I'm not immediately enthused. Um, they, they've done some good stuff, but the, where they tend to excel is where you don't expect very much from the source <laughs> material. So neither Star Cups nor the, the, nor the Tomorrow People are particularly brilliant TV series in their own right, although they're quite fun. Sapphire and Steel was painful. Uh, the big finished one was painful to listen to. Omega Factor, not bad, but not a patch on the original. I am dreading the day they remember about Doomwatch. Because I can guarantee they will fuck up the science as bad as season 12 did. Anyway, I'm choosing Callan. What are you choosing? I'm going to go for something that I have hitherto never heard of. It's called Police Surgeon, which was uh, an ABC series from 1960 on ITV. There were 13 half-hour episodes starring Ian Hendry. I'm just looking at the cast here. There was quite a few people in it. Michael Crawford was in it, I believe in his first television role. Um, Bernard Archer, Harry H. Corbett, Geoffrey Palmer, Nigel Stock. 
Uh, and it's the precursor to the Avengers, although I'm told by, uh, there's no definitive narrative link. It was just no, there, there isn't. It was, as I understand it, Ian Hendry played the Doctor role very well, but they the production team felt felt that first half hour episodes were a bit short for a decent story and second having him purely as a police surgeon limited the storyline um, the other person who appeared in it as his nurse is Ingrid Hafner who play went on to play Carol in the first series of the Avengers as Ian Hendry's character's nurse and she's also far more importantly in the Whitebait episode of the Corridor People she plays Mrs Whitebait fuck's sake Anyway, Police Surgeon. Uh, only the pilot episode survives of the 13. I shall return that from the archives. And the pilot episode is quite fun. It was repeated on um, in 1992, I believe, as part of a, a TV heaven season, introduced by Frank Muir. And it's on season two of The Avengers, box set as an extra. Which is where I have it. And we, we can do it at, at some point. Moving on. Moving on. Right. We are now back in the viewing room. What have we got for tonight? We are going to be watching some episodes from season four of The Avengers. And this is where it it really, really hit its stride. So the Avengers went through a few changes, not just in terms of cast, but in terms of the feel of the series. So following on from Police Surgeon, the Avengers was very much an Ian Hendry vehicle. He played uh, Dr. David Keel in the first series, and he was assisted by a a, a government agent by the name of Steed. And Steed became a, a very popular character and ultimately ended up sharing co-billing, but it, it was initially dreamt up as an Ian Hendry vehicle. He left at the end of the first series, and there were a number of assistants in the second series. There were a few episodes left over from the scripts left over from the first series, where the plot revolved around the, the second lead being a doctor. So it was Dr. Martin King, who was brought in, who was played by John Rolleston, who was Chorley in Web of Fear. Yeah, that sounds familiar. Uh, there was also a nightclub singer played by called Venus Smith, and most of the episodes uh, he was assisted by an anthropologist called Kathy Gale, played by Honor Blackman. She was by far the most successful of them. She was the first of the emancipated Avengers women. She, she had fairly trademark leather outfits, and the reason that she was put in black leather, she was originally put in uh, suede outfits. And they played havoc with the, the cameras. It also gave rise to the splendid novelty record, Kinky Boots. It did. And she was very front and centre action, a very different kind of action heroine than had been seen on television before. Even the more proactive women characters prior to that had been your know, sort of Judith Caroons and Barbara Finn from the, the Quatermass stuff. There'd never really been action women. So Kathy Gale was a bit of a, a mould breaker in that respect. So very much a follow-on from Pussy Galore, then? Precursor to Pussy Galore. Right. Yeah, the, the ah. reason 
um, Anna Blackman left was to take up the role of Pussy Galore. Her two years at the Avengers could pretty much be seen as a almost an audition for it. And actually, the thing that Diana Rigg did after she left was uh, go on to become a Bond girl. Yes, she did. It was Tracy, Vin- uh, Tracy Vincenzo, I think. Yeah, or Tracy Bond. Or Tracy Bond, as she became. So Diana Rigg was the, uh, the next Avengers girl um, coming in in se- season four. And from season four, it gets less gritty and spy and more fantastical. Yeah, the one we've watched on a previous episode... Was an Honor Blackman one. Yeah, that's. I seem to remember that being a little bit... Um, it was getting ball. getting more towards the fantastical, towards the tail end of her series. That was the, the Charmers, which was one of her final four or five. And it was getting a little bit fantastical, but not as, as much as it did in this season, and more so in the final couple of colour seasons. The other thing to bear in mind is that Diana Rigg wasn't the first choice for this character. And in fact, there was an episode and a half filmed with the uh, the first choice, who was Elizabeth Shepherd. Go on. The name's ringing a bell. Where have we seen As it should. Before? Siri? Oh, for heaven's sake. <laughs> yes, she went... Uh, oh. She became Siri Van Epp at around about this time because both, both this and The Corridor People were 1966. So it all loops back to the corridor people. It was felt uh, she wasn't right for the role. They um, <laughs> they re-auditioned. They re-filmed the uh, pilot episode and they... Um, Does it exist? Her scenes don't. Right. But the one that we're going to watch is the, the first episode, or, or the first one we're going to watch is the first episode of season four. It's called The Town of No Return. It was written by Brian Clements, who was the series' main writer, and directed by Roy Ward Baker. I have not seen these, as is the case with much of the stuff that we watch. So without further ado, Ron VT. Good morning, Mrs. Beale. Good morning, Steve. The door's open. <laughs> That was very, very dirty. You're quite right. But I didn't promise to fight fair. We'll have to hurry. The train leaves in less than an hour. I'll explain the details to you on the way down. And where are we going? Little Baisley. By the sea. Why? It's a long story. Try the condensed version. No restaurant car, I'm afraid. We just have to wrap it. Indian or China? That was the first episode of The Avengers Season 4, Town of No Return. And it's a f- actually a fairly routine spy drama for an Avengers thing. It's Really? Yeah. It, it starts off a little bit weird with somebody walking out of the sea in a giant plastic bag, um, which he unzips, walks out, um, pops up his umbrella and walks off into town. And Steve and Mrs. Peel turn up uh, under a couple of fairly flimsy disguises. And discover that everybody in the village has been replaced by invaders from... It's never actually stated where no, from, but this not. is the height of the Cold War, so you assume it's Russia. And they realise that this is an invasion by stealth, and that they've taken over a village as a bridgehead, and they're going to start using that to take over the entire country. There's a bit of a design flaw in the base, in that there's only <laughs> one, one way in and one way out, and they're able to knock out the... Well, they they subdue the pub landlord by setting fire to his moustache. <laughs> and then there's a school inspector, the headmistress, oh. and the vicar, 
um, who all get knocked unconscious in a very unconvincing fight scene, which is quite bonkers. There was almost always a female protagonist for Diana Rigg to fight, so that she'd she could have a bitch men. fight. It wasn't a particularly good bitch it fight. Was, no, it was dreadful. It was awful. We've watched this because it's the first episode of the series. There are other more entertaining episodes, but I, I still think that one is fun. For myself, I mean, I've never been a particularly big Avengers fan. And the ones that you've shown me... Because in my head, it was sort of um, a bit action spy thriller. My nana was a big fan of all this ABC and uh, uh, ITC stuff. Actually watching the actual thing, it's a bit mental. Yes. There's a scene where they're on the train talking and Steed has this massive carpet bag, which he just pulls out a, a full tea, including... A, a whistling teapot. Yeah, with, which is all a bit silly and Mary Poppins-ish. It was entertaining, but I found it more entertaining as a silliness piece rather than a, a piece of a slightly surreal drama. And we're, we're, we're going to watch a few more, so... But I don't think you could watch it entirely seriously. As I, I, but at this not... point, at this point in the show's history, it is very definitely tongue in cheek. So was it ever sort of a, a serious? Oh spy yes, first, first series was. Well, we'll watch first series at, or the surviving episodes of the first yeah, series. Yeah, some big gaps now, isn't there? There's only three complete episodes out of twenty six. Really, I yeah. didn't realise it was that bad. And one of them right. was only discovered about two years ago. Right. Because it's quite interesting. Uh, Big Finish have done reconstructions of all the missing episodes. And at the time that they did that, Tunnel of Fear was still a missing episode. So you can compare their, their reconstructions with the actual recovered episode. And I really enjoyed their reconstructions until you do that comparison and realise that their reconstruction is nowhere near as good as the actual professionally made episode. Right. And Tone of Fear is actually quite a poor episode. I've not heard any of the big finish Avengers. Uh, we will do that at some point. I, would, I was thinking we could do all of that as a season, as an Avengers season one episode at some point. Uh, there was a lot of RP. We should have a polar scale. This is in honor of another scale. In honor of Paula, whatever her name was, from Quatermass 2. Professor Quatermass's office. You're speaking. Is it something bad? Right, we've got a scale, we've got a jingle. What do we think for. uh... Oh, five. Piggy Piggy Warren. Piggy Warren. Is a six on his own. Played by Terence Alexander with an outrageous handlebar moustache. (laughs) Which is clearly his. Samson-like Achilles heel because he's defeated by setting fire to it. He reminds me so badly of somebody and I cannot remember who it is. That was as far from... Uh, it's not Crozier. What was his bloody name in Bergerac? Anyway, but it's as far from that. Charlie. Oh, Charlie Hungerford. Anyway. Uh, so we do have a few alumni to flag up in that. Um, there was an early role for Patrick Newell who went on to become the original mother in the final series of the Avengers. Well, actually, the... Um, New Avengers? No, no, no. Uh, I think it might have been Tail End of the Diana Rig. It might have been Diana Rig's very last episode. Right. It was his first episode, but he was a regular character in the, the final series. Um, he also played Mr. Horsley in Kinvig, which was a Nigel Neal penned sitcom from the 1980s. We've touched on Kinvig before. We'll, we'll do it at some yeah. point. It's a lot of fun. Um, he played Inspector Lestrade in the 1980s uh, UK-Polish co-production of Sherlock Holmes in which Jeffrey Whitehead was Holmes and Donald Pickering was Watson. Um, and he was Colonel Faraday in The Android Invasion. So he was. Uh, Terence Alexander was Lord Ravenscroft in The Mark of the Raleigh. And Juliet Harmer was Georgina Jones in Adam Adamant Lives. 
which we will come on and do. Which we'll come on to and do. Uh, there was also Robert Brown, who I knew I knew from somewhere. He's quite he's aged considerably in the intervening twenty years, but he played the second M in James Bond, tail end of Roger Moore and um, all of Timothy Dalton's era. So the next episode we're going to watch is a little bit more fantastical. Christ. Well, actually, all three of the other episodes I plan to watch are a little bit more fantastical. This one is The Man Eater of Surrey Green, written by Philip Levine and directed by Sidney Hayes. And you've chosen this one because? It's about the most science fiction The Avengers ever gets. Right. Uh, what number episode is this? I don't know. We don't know. Run VT. I didn't know you had green fingers. Economics, law of supply and demand, cut out the middleman. Private enterprise, I'm growing my own buttonholes. Oh, why? Oh, one's got to start somewhere. For you, Mrs. Peel. I sense a bribe. Nonsense, I want you to get the first fruits of my labours. <laughs> what nasty situation have you got in store for me this time, hmm? You have your own built-in early warning system, you know. A certain look in the eye, roses, roses. Ah, the missing horticulturalists. Bullseye. Right, well, I have to say, I really enjoyed that. Yeah. And that was a lot more fun than the last one. Yeah, we watched The, um, the Town of No Return because it was the first one mm. of, the, uh, of the series. I've always had a soft spot for Manny to have Surrey Green. The plot is the mo- about the most science fiction that the Avengers gets. It's the story of a dandelion seed that um, knocks a spaceship out of uh, spaceship out of orbit on its way from Mars, ends up in Surrey and starts taking over control of the minds of various botanists and plant scientists to get itself enough fertilizer to germinate. Partway through the, uh, the episode they realise that the thing that it needs to um, grow fully is an enzyme that's only found in human body, the human body, so it's a, a man-eater. They also discover that people are immune to it if they're wearing hearing aids. So Steed and Mrs. Peel and their, their new friend, um, Dr... It was said about 50 million times in the episode, and I still can't remember. Yeah. Um, a wonderful, wonderful old woman, the like of which they don't build anymore. I can't remember the name of the character either. So they get some extremely powerful herbicide, go to deal with the plant, various fight scenes in the house as it's covered in growing plant tendrils and slowly collapsing. But eventually they um, they manage to get the herbicide into the plant and it dies. It's all very seeds of doom. Ten years early. Ten years early. Yes. And I would say equally as well done. I said this when we watched the, the first episode. The production value is very good. Yes. It's all done on film, it's all single camera, and it's all in very good condition. Now, whether it's been restored or not, I don't know. But it's it's in beautiful nick. Well, from the series, it was all done on 35mm film for the American syndicated market. And it was actually one of the earliest British TV series to be syndicated in America. And from this sort of era, became hugely popular mm. in America. Now, you said that this is sort of like the more science fiction it gets. Yeah. It sort of was science fiction in that it's an alien flower seed. But the actual mechanics of it are very... The alien flower seed bit of it actually is a, a sort of an incidental bit. The, it's a MacGuffin. It's a MacGuffin, yes. It's not taking the piss like the first episode was. That's actually quite a serious drama piece. Uh, and it's very and logical. a really and, big body count. It is, actually. Because all yes. the... Um, this, 
plant starts off mind controlling all the the workers that are looking after it, and you see tendrils wrapping around their mm-hmm. ankles. When Stephen, Mrs. Peel, and oh, I want to call her Professor Rumford, and she is <laughs> she's not, and she's not Amelia Duca either. Um, but when they when they turn up, the entire village nearby has been um, mind controlled, apart from one bloke who's wearing a hearing aid. And you assume that they've all been fed to the plant. When they get to the house, then all they start off investigating this, but looking for a series of kidnapped scientists. All the scientists have been um, have been taken. It makes you wonder whether Robin Banks Stewart saw this and saw because all the villagers have been taken over in this. In Seeds of Doom, all the plants in the village have been taken over and killed all the villagers. And at the end of this, when the plant's going into its death throes, then it animates all the other plants in, yes. the, in the conservatory where they are as well. But Madman in a mansion who's very keen on plants and uh, clearly a little bit bonkers to start with. This has got and waxworks fe- draped in ivy and what have you. And feeding people to the plants. Okay, this doesn't have a composter, but... So it's all very Seeds of Doom. I, I think this is really that, entertaining. That was a great piece of TV. The characters in it were delightful. I, I really enjoyed that. Now, I hope that subsequent episodes are of that sort of... Because I don't really do... When, I, when I, a series starts taking the piss and it's not really telling a story, it's not really taking its own hmm. story seriously, I don't really enjoy it. That took itself seriously. and Because the, the investigation was quite logical. There were no leaps of logic. There were no... But I've suddenly worked out this master plan based on two scraps of evidence I found in a photo frame and a desk. That was that was great. I mean, to be fair, the, the episode before wasn't just based on that. Um, she took the stuff that she found in the photo frame to one of the villains who then pulled a gun on her and <laughs> basically revealed the plot. Yeah, but they did have a massive submarine on a blackboard. But it, it was in the building where they did their briefings for their for their new arrivals so i didn't really like the last one it was too whimsical this was much better for all the science fiction element of it as you say it was a macguffin for the actual story itself and it's a much better regarded episode it's an episode i far prefer and you give a toss about the characters so yeah great stuff what have we got up next right well what we've got up next is a gin cocktail ah you did threaten this yes I think I offered rather than threatened. <laughs> yes, there, there are gins that may be a threat. This isn't mm. black tomato. Mason's Yorkshire tea. That cocoa thing that we had. Or pride gin. That is our hall, oh, hall of infamy. Pride, sort yourself out. It better be the best of this year. Although the pride episode was quite good last year. Before we leave the manager of Surrey Green, we should have a quick mention of alumni. Now, I couldn't find any Who alumni here, mm. but Derek Farr played Evans in Star Maidens. I know you haven't seen that. Not seen that. You haven't mentioned it several we, times, though. I'm aiming to do that next time Paul's here, mm. because it is as camp as Nick is. Gillian uh, <laughs> Lewis was Miss Bellman in the mind of uh, Mr. J.G. Reader. Um, and she was all. She also played Drusilla Lamb in Mr. Rose. Again, I know you haven't done Mr. Rose. It's the follow-on from It's Dark it's Outside. It's Dark Outside, yeah. Um, much more the lighter. follow-on or the, the precursor? No, the follow-on. The precursor is The Odd Man. Inspector yeah. Rose appears, appears in all of them. Mr. Rose is the series after he retires. It's, it's more light-hearted than It's right, Dark Outside, right. which was a little on the miserable side. A tad. Um, very good, though. And Joby Blanchard was uh, the regular Colin Bradley in Doomwatch. So before we move on to our third and final episode of 
Is um, it time to get out the tonic screwdriver for a special edition? It is. What have we got for tonight? We have the cocktail from my gin club, which uses the elderflower chamomile and lemon verbena gin that we've had before with apple. Oh at, my fucking god! And rhubarb. Oh baby! And lemon juice and uh, a cocktail syrup of theirs. I haven't actually tried it. Mm. I've just mixed it, and it's garnished with grapefruit and peppercorns. Well, five mm. out of five. Ooh, that's five lovely. Yes, five. five out of five. Very definitely. What's that called? That is called a spring sling. You can keep the peppercorns, actually, because they're quite unpleasant when you crunch those by accident, but that is utterly delicious. Well, perhaps you shouldn't guppy it quite as fast as you are doing. I may have been enthusiastic. Oh, that is marvellous. Well, there's more left in the shaker for you. That is wonderful. Oh, that's one of the best drinks we've had. And on the subject of wonderful, shall we head on to the house that Jack built? Because this is one of my very favourite episodes of The Avengers. Uh, Written by Brian Clements, uh, directed by Don Lever, various alumni that will come along to in due course. Without further ado then, Ron VT. Ah, good morning, Mrs. Peel. My patent do-it-yourself portable dark room. I won't be long, just got to finish this roll, and I'll take you out to lunch. Don't bother, I can't keep our lunch date. Eh? I have another appointment. Where? An old uncle of mine died some while back, left me his house. I have to go and look at it. Oh, how upsetting. Not really, I never knew him. No, that you had to dash. I got my hands full and I could do with a cup of coffee. I... I really like that. This The Avengers is far more fantastical than I've ever given it credit yeah. for. And the first one we did, didn't care for at all. It was too whimsical. The two that you've shown me after that, they've been fantastical, but they've taken themselves deadly seriously. Mm. That was... it was the My gut feeling is, it's Pertwee Doctor Who before Doctor Who. Do you want to tell us the pricey of the episode before I go too far into it? Right, so the, I mean, the episode's fairly straightforward, actually, for all it looks quite weird. Um, it's predominantly um, a Mrs. Peel solo episode, and I think if it were made today, it would be a Mrs. Peel solo episode. Mm, yes. Because Steve doesn't really do an awful lot. So the, the premise is Mrs. Peel inherits a house from her Uncle Jack, pops around and tells Steve that she's going to go and have a little look at it, and leaves the the key to the the house on some photographic paper that he's developing. She heads off to um, to have have a look at this house. Steed carries on developing his photos and finds out that the the key has superimposed its image on all of these photos, so it's magnetic or radioactive or something. It's never explicitly explained. Well, no, you assume that there is at least a level of magnetism mm. because it interferes with the compass in her car and interferes with the electronics. So and the clock and the, the stop. The clock didn't yeah. make an awful lot of sense because that was a clockwork yeah. clock. Um, and it bounced it forwards and bounced it backwards. And that that was just a sort of, this is electronic weirdness stuff and as a flag up. So she goes to investigate this, this house. In the meantime, Steed talks to her lawyer, finds out that um, he's not the one that sent out the letter that she received. There isn't any legacy. There isn't any Uncle Jack. She goes into the house and pretty much immediately weird things start happening. Mm. So she goes into study, closes the, the door, and when she immediately reopens the door they the hallway on the other side has changed from a standard manor house set to a, a very sort of 
60 psychedelic psychedelic was the word yeah and silver almost migraine design yeah um, with some weird spinny electronic thing in the middle and she wanders down corridors and finds more of these weird electronic things and then marks one with a cross of her lipstick walks down the corridor and finds out that she's face to face with exactly the same thing um, at one point this disappears and becomes a spiral staircase so she goes down the spiral staircase comes off it looks out of a window she's in front of and when she looks back the spiral staircase has disappeared the weird spinning uh, electronic thing has reappeared she discovers that the or she realizes that the house or rooms within the house will move around activated by a, a touch sensor in the door frame so she uses this to get to the the core of the house and there she finds an exhibition to her life and it turns out that when she took over her father's company as a as a young woman and ran it very successfully she sacked um, an automation expert who thought that men should be subservient to machines. It's all a touch of Wotan, that bit. Just ever so, there's elements of Doctor Who all the way through. Um, well, it, it was the same year as the War Machines. Hmm. She also finds an escaped prisoner. We saw it breaking into the house at the beginning of the episode. I know he has been driven mad. Professor Keller, the automation expert, is dead, but leaves a, a videotape message to say that this is his revenge. And that ultimately the house will drive her mad and has left behind a suicide room for her to use. There's also a terminal to feed in um, program cards in this main control room. So the the prisoner who's been driven mad within the the house jumps into the the suicide room and and kills himself. She uses the gunpowder from a shotgun pellet that he had on his belt in combination with the key to block up the input slot for questions there's an explosion that um the machine short circuits and the, the house stops being a, a trap mm-hmm. in the meantime steed has tried to has come to, to find her really shouldn't have been able to because there are electronic road signs that move all over the place and a road close sign that comes down as mrs peel and the key pass and steve just steve just randomly assumes that one of these places will lead to where he needs to be. I think by that point, though, he's been led down that many blind alleys that he's realised it's... Have you ever driven around the countryside? Yes. Yeah. Lampler and Rowra and places in the deepest, darkest places of the lakes. You follow up, You follow any road sign in the Lake District. It says, you know, one and a half miles or one and a quarter miles or something. And a million years later, you You get might to... get to where you are, yeah. yeah. Um, and Dorset is the same. Yeah. Um, all of these places. So I don't think you would realise that quickly that it was the, the roadside. Yeah, but I think that he, it, it was clear that he'd been led down obvious blind alleys. Yes. To the place that he was trying to go to. So it was. But just assuming that another, what looked like blind alley, was the right right place to the point where he smashes through it in his car. I mean, it turned out that that was the right thing, but that just seemed like a, a, a blind leap of faith with no particularly good reason. Do you know, it. that didn't bother me in the slightest. I thought after he'd been led down so many blind... Because it was clear by that point it, that some time had passed that he'd been he'd clearly been following blind alleys and realised it, that. It's the only bit of the episode that, that jars for me. And the fact that it's such a minor niggle and jars demonstrates what a good episode it is. It, that was brilliant. That was, um, there's it, a lot of stuff in the 60s and I've said this before I am surprised it was made because it was so mental now 
that in terms of what we've watched in the past actually wasn't that bad that was because there was although it was mental there was a logic to it yes and all the weird psychedelic stuff and the um the disjointed noise and the the music box that suddenly keeps coming on and the the place of movement it's all designed to drive a mad so it's supposed yeah. to be mental but it wasn't all the mentalness was was explained away as yes. this is the house this is how this is how this I is the way programmed it to be. This is the way it's designed to be. So it wasn't just somebody's weird imagination, or mm. this is all a dreamscape, or it's all this. There was a logic to it, which I, I very much like. That was a great episode of TV. Brilliant. I enjoyed that even more than the last one. For me, it's a toss up between Manager of Surrey Green and House of the Jack Built. Although there's, there are some other excellent episodes in that season. This is the season that introduced the Avengers to me in the um, repeats that were. It's a real toss up, actually. Which do I prefer? The, the man, Manager of Surrey Green. I like it because it reminds me of Seeds of Doom, and I love Seeds of Doom. It's a good episode. This one, I just love in itself. It reminds me of, of 70s Doctor Who, or Pertwee Doctor Who, I will say. You've got that 60s stark aesthetic rather than the 70s psychedelic, but there's a big chunk of Claws of Axos in that, and the whole wandering around Axos and the, the weird corridors, and yeah, there, there was a, a real feel of that to it. And it was really nice to see what's basically an Emma Peel standalone episode. Well, Steve, Steve brackets it. He sends an agent along to look after, to help look after who gets bumped off. You never really find out by whom, but you assume it's the madman who's been stuck in there. I've not really commented on this, but Diana Rigg is extraordinarily beautiful. And was almost unknown at this point. She went from sort of bit part obscurity straight into into this and it was an episode of the sentimental agent that she was in which still exists and we can watch at some point and had been written by brian clement so he got to see her performance in that and that's what triggered her her call to cast in the avengers i'm spectacularly impressed by diana rigg because if this is one of her early roles it's not really any surprise that she got cast. I mean, she's a she's a big name. Even now, hmm. you see Diana Rigg on a cast list. Yeah, she was. That's a big thing. She was Game of Thrones, wasn't she? Was she in Game of Thrones? Hmm. I've not. I've not seen her one, so I don't know. I did I, intend to wait till Game of Thrones came to an end and binge watch the whole lot. I haven't done it. I yet. hated it. I know so many people who love it. I've watched the pilot about four or five times to see whether I'm missing something. I'm not. It's it's a soap opera with shagging, more nudity than an average soap opera, and dragons. And I quite like the dragons. Oh, the dragons yeah. bit. Mm. It's like The Walking Dead. It, it doesn't really hold any appeal. And That sounds inc- incredibly geeky, but the dragons bit, you don't see on TV that often. I didn't like it. I mean, I I did watch the first half dozen episodes because if I'm really trying to uh, give a series a chance, I will watch six episodes. It's what I did with Babylon 5 because I, I, I didn't particularly <laughs> like that for the first few episodes. And then on the sixth episode, it really clicked. Mm-hmm. And I, I was a huge fan of it from that moment on. But it took those six episodes. So if I'm really trying to convince myself about TV series, I'll watch six episodes. I did that with Game of Thrones. That's incredibly good staying power. If, you, if you've if you not enjoyed the first three or four. If I hated something, I wouldn't wouldn't carry on with it. Game of Thrones, I, I didn't hate it. I was just bored by it. But I, I did the first six episodes. It still didn't sing to me, so I haven't bothered with it. Anyway, 
But yeah, <laughs> da- dragging it back to Diana Rick, having Wikipedia'd her personal life, she was living for eight years with a, a man considerably older than her, a director called Philip Savile. Lucky guy. Because she was extraordinarily beautiful. He directed one of the episodes we've seen her. Yes, he did. No, Philip Levine. Oh, Levine, that was it, The manager of Surrey Green. But I'm I'm sure I've heard of Philip Savile as a director. Anyway, sorry, go on. Yeah, but of all the attractive women we've seen on screen, she is by far and away the most. Until we get to Rebus Operation, of course. Or rewatch The Corridor People. No, I'm afraid even Elizabeth... Shepherd. The Shepherd. She's not a patch on Mary Tan. Life and Loves of a She-Devil. Cloning of Joanna May. She's done some good stuff. Oh, he directed The Fruit Machine. I've not even heard of that. Oh, he did the 1977 Count Dracula. I think that's the one with Louis Jordan, isn't it? Secrets from 1971. Is that your one, Mitch? That, that is the one, yes. We, we really must do that. That's right up your street. Oh, he didn't have to the unknown. He's done some, some good stuff. Right, okay, so you were saying about Diana Rigg being married to somebody somebody older. Well, she wasn't married to him, she was living with him and played it down that there was nothing going on, but she was living with him for eight years. And then she got married to an Italian painter and somebody else. But she is comfortably the most beautiful actress I've seen on screen in anything we've watched. Even more than Sharon McCready? Even more than Sharon McCready. Yeah. She's more how an animator than Sharon McCready often was. True. To, yes. Although, to be fair, they, the episodes that we've, we've seen are ones where she's been brainwashed. So Yeah, but Sharon McCready, to be brainwashed. absolutely immaculate, but the modern equivalent would be Lady Mary from Downton Abbey, who's got sort of one expression, Father, and it's a constipated squirrel, and that's it. And, oh dear, my husband has died. I'm incredibly sad. I would be alone. Oh, look, my child has been born. So exciting, the happiest day of my life. And that was sort of Sharon McCready, although with more panache. Alexandra Bastido. Oh, my. Yes. But no, uh, Diana Rigg, hands down. We'll do the Aphrodite inheritance at some point. It's by the same writer as things like Don't Pay the Ferryman and The Lotus Eaters. They're all all set around different Greek islands. Aphrodite inheritance is set on Crete. Don't Pay the Ferryman is set on Rhodes. And there's one of them set on Cyprus. I've got all of them. We can do them at, at some point. But on the Avengers, yeah, as, as a whole, well, if that is an example, if those are examples of what the Avengers is actually like, as opposed to what it's like in my head, I would like to do more of them. Yes. The other episodes are equally good. I chose two that were more fantastical. Well, I, I chose the uh, house that Jack built because for some reason it came into my head the other day that I fancied watching it. So That's we'll a reasonable enough reason. We'll build an episode around it. I've... I chose Man Eater of Surrey Green because it's the most sci-fi that they do and all the Seeds of Doom parallels. And I chose Town of No Return because it's the first one. But there are other excellent ones in that series. Touch of Brimstone is really good fun. Sense of History is excellent. Um, the Masterminds, The Danger Makers, Surfeet of H2O. Um, we could do Too Many Christmas Trees as part of the Christmas. Silent Dust is, is very, very good. And we can do some of the colour dynamics as well. So, series four and five are with Diana Rigg. Series six is with Linda Thorson. Yes. And then we have the new adventures. At, new adventures. And then we have the new adventures with Joanna Lumley and Gareth Hunt. Yes. Am I making that up? Yeah, we saw one. I know, I've just slotted Gareth Hunt in and thought, hang on a minute, I'm not the champions. No. No, that was Stuart Damon and um, William Gaunt. Can't think of anything else that he was in, apart from some coffee adverts in the, 70s, <laughs> in the, in the 80s. <laughs> 
Yes, yeah, so otherwise, a, a lovely, really nice night. I, I have loved those. So just a brief mention of alumni. Oh, yes, of course. Of um, Michael Goodliffe was uh, Judge D in Judge D and the original Hunter, Hunter in Callan. Uh, Griffith Davis was Kennedy in The Evil of Daleks. Keith Peart was Ortlock in The Aztecs and the Cabinet Minister in Quatermass Experiment 6. But actually, there was very little in the way of guest cast. It was basically a yeah. Diana Rig one-hander. And she did it beautifully. Yeah. If, if anybody needed proof of her acting chops, good grief, that was it. Yeah, I mean, there, there were bits of internal monologue, which was really the only way to, you could push the series forward, the story forward without another person to talk to, but it, it came across as a little bit stilted. But just really big chunks of it were her acting. I'd say doing about two-thirds of it. Yes, She's 81, and if she was casting anything even now, it would still be a major event. This is a good 50 years after the fact. We got her in the Crimson Horror. (sighs) It is by no means a reflection on Diana Rigg, what we thought of that episode. But on the subject of the Avengers, lovely, loved it. Three, well, two great examples and one that I could happily forget. But if that's, uh, if those are examples, more of series four... Probably Series 5. There are some great ones in Series 5, but yeah, we can do some more. Great stuff. Then we can come back and do some Series 5, which is in colour, and some of the colour episodes work work with colour really well in the way that only the 60s really did. (laughs) And on that note, boys and girls, we shall sign off. Thank you very much for listening. Hope you've enjoyed our thoughts. We shall be back next week with another episode. Goodbye now. The Exton Moss Experiment featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss, and the title music was performed by the BBC Symphony Orchestra. All featured television soundtracks are the property of their respective producers, and no infringement of copyright is intended. The programme was recorded in Rushton, Lancashire, and produced by Maverick Productions. For more information, please visit our website at extonmossexperiment.blogspot.com or find us on Facebook.